we are the economy. The American consumer is pretty much the American economy. And so as a policymaker, for sure, you'd want to think about talking to the American consumer and, and making sure that they have the right expectations about what's, what could be achieved on the road. I'm going to flip a coin. If it lands on heads, I'll give you $2. Tails, you'll lose a dollar. Would you do it? No matter what you answered, we all know the risk. It's a 50-50 chance every time. So why do people choose differently? That's what Camelia Kunin studies. She's a finance professor at the UNC Keenan-Flagler Business School. And with a degree in neuroscience and one in finance, she's an expert in neuroeconomics. It's a field that combines what's in our brains and in our wallets. And she says that our brain chemistry, as well as our life experiences, are major factors when it comes to financial risk. Welcome to Well Said, the official podcast of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It turns out when you have people come to the lab and put them in the brain scanner and you give them money and they have to invest this money, it turns out you can actually locate in the brain uh, areas that activate more when the possibility of reward is present. That's Camelia. As part of her research, she sees how our brain lights up when we're considering a financial investment like buying stocks or choosing heads in a coin flip. Other areas activate more when the possibility of loss is present or when you learn that your action that you just took is not the best one in hindsight. So you have counterfactual information that tells you that you didn't do the right thing, that, that you didn't get as much of a reward as you could have, for example. So we can identify these structures that make you able to assess what could be the good things out there that you could go ahead and, and get and what could be the bad things that could um, impact you. One of them is called the nucleus accumbens or the reward center in the brain, and it allows you to track what, what's good for you out there. When there's something good happening and it's a surprise, then this area activates more. It, it pretty much allows you to, to update your, your assessment about the world. Things are, things are better than you thought. And then there are other places in the brain where when, when, when things don't go as, as well as expected or you get the surprise that's more on the negative side, then you have more activation. And, and one of those structures is the anterior insula. And through her research, Camelia discovered something very curious about the way our brains work. So in our studies in, in the lab using uh, brain imaging, we've been able to find these structures to understand a bit better how they work. And uh, it also became clear to us that activation in these structures that are supposed to help you assess the possible rewards and the possible cost of an action, maybe in the context of the financial decision, well, activation in these centers can also be triggered by, by stimuli that have nothing to do with the financial decision at hand. And this is actually what's happening when you go to a place like a casino. In a casino, you have all kinds of cues, all kinds of stimuli, things that trigger activation in these areas that are supposed to allow you to assess possible benefits and possible cost of a, of a financial investment. And as a result of that, they will change how much risk you're willing to take. For instance, if there is a queue out there in the environment, let's say on that casino floor, about some potential reward, you know, you see 
a picture of a car that somebody else won before or, you know, some other large prize that was won previously at the roulette table by somebody else. Well, those are cues of potential reward, but they're not applicable to your situation. You know, your odds at winning at the roulette table are not any different now that you've seen, you know, that somebody else at some other game won a car. And yet it turns out these cues of potential reward, which are irrelevant to your own decision, well, those cues actually change your decision because they will impact how active these brain areas are that I mentioned earlier that are involved in assessing possible upsides and possible downsides. So you can have external cues that have nothing to do with the financial decision at hand that pretty much uh, change how your brain, how much activation these brain areas have at a given point in time. And as a result of these irrelevant cues, you will end up making a different decision that you would otherwise. But the investment decisions people make aren't just decided by what's happening in our brains. For decades, researchers have been studying people who grew up during stressful economic times. They learned that if these people chose to invest in the economy, they did it in the safest way possible. Camelia has been digging deeper into the idea that life experience changes a person's investment strategy by looking at people who are a little younger. If a child experiences adversity at home, then when they are older, you observe differences in their brain relative to the brains of kids who did not experience adversity. And one important difference that is observed is that when a good outcome is uh, realized, then the kid who grew up in adversity will not react as much. It's as if they don't believe that good outcome just happened to them. And this is something that we observed in our own studies, this, this sort of asymmetric reaction to information about uh, financial investments. Life adversity makes people react more to negative information about the investment than to positive information about the investment. And so what this means is that if you experience adversity, because your brain literally reacts differently to information than it, it would otherwise if you didn't experience adversity, it means that you end up with a pessimistic lens, you know, in terms of how you see the world, in terms of how you see your opportunities, including financial opportunities. You don't learn sufficiently from good information about these opportunities, and so you'll believe that they're not as good as they truly are. And so these people who grew up in adversity, we see in our studies, end up being pessimistic about the stock market. They're pessimistic about macroeconomic developments in general. And as a result of this pessimism, they will actually avoid the stock market. Camelia says this is actually a really big deal. Adversity has this sort of double whammy effect. It causes you to see the world differently, but it also changes how money is valued. And that can leave a mark on the economy. So if you don't believe that there's a whole lot of upside for the world economy or for the American economy and you don't invest in equities, which give you a piece of this upside, then you will not have the upside. You will not be able to accumulate wealth in the long run. And you will be sort of stuck at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. And so you'll see over time what this means is that there will be even more and more disparity across people in the level of wealth that they have, depending on sort of where they start in life. So wealth inequality over time, you could expect, uh, will increase. 
it is important, I think, for policymakers and for the population in general to understand that what we all think about the world, what we all think about opportunities, if we're excited about them, if we're certain about them, or on, on the other hand, if we're pessimistic and, and uncertain, this will shape where the economy will go. We are the economy. The American consumer is pretty much the American economy. And so as a policymaker, for sure, you'd want to think about talking to the American consumer and, and making sure that they have the right expectations about what's, what could be achieved on the road. So the brain is responsible for someone's risk tolerance, and life experience accounts for overall optimism or pessimism about an investment. And these factors together are the answer to why someone might take heads on that coin flip bet while others may walk away. And it's not because they have different beliefs about the chance of heads and tails. We all understand it's 50-50, but they have different valuations, different utility for that gain of $2 relative to that loss of a dollar. So um, indeed, beliefs and, and risk preferences are two different objects. And uh, it, it's possible that your life experience changes not just your beliefs, the sort of your outlook of the world, what probability you assign to things being super good or super bad tomorrow. But life experiences could also shift your risk preferences, uh, how much utility you get from you know, get, getting $2 versus how much utility you get from losing a dollar. Aside from all of this research, Camelia says there's a way to help level the playing field for future investors. Well, financial literacy. This can be done in high school with, with just a couple of lectures about the basics of finance, people could be taught. This is what's been happening in the stock market for the past 100 years. This is the, the price path. This is how returns look like in any given year. You want to you wanna give people objective information about this thing called the stock market because I believe for a lot of the American population, the stock market is this very complex, scary concept that they, they don't want to learn anything about. They're, they're happy to pay a lot of money if they have the money to advise financial advisors for those people to deal their money. And and I don't think people should be scared of, of learning about the stock market. It's it Again, it could be done relatively easily, even as early as high school, just so that from early on in their lives, people understand what this kind of investment is, historically how it's performed. So I am all for improving financial education before college, before people even start to think about their careers, they need to know the basics of what is the stock market, what is an interest rate, what is unemployment. They need to be known by any kid in this country by the age of 18. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Well Said, the official podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. You can read more about Camellia's research at UNC Keenan Flagler's website, keenan-flagler.unc.edu. Do you have an idea for an upcoming episode of Well Said? You can send us a tweet at UNC or send us an email at wellsaid@unc.edu. You can find Well Said wherever you listen to podcasts, so we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. See you next week.